Hello and welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager, and sitting right here in the room beside me <laughs> is AJ DePriest. We're on location in the Nashville area. Um, I'm very happy to have her with me today. I, you know, she's one of those people that I just feel so blessed to have met. Um, and, you know, we're, we've got some great information to talk to you about today. Uh, one of the reasons I'm here is because this weekend in the Nashville area is a, a big uh, fundraising dinner that's, right. that's tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. We're not going to tell you anything about it because it's completely sold out. We don't want you to try to um, get to come because you can't. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but the Sunday event. The Sunday event. Right. If, if you could get here, the big rally, mm -hmm. um, go to Nurse Freedom Network. It's a great rally. An awesome lineup of speakers, mm -hmm, Dr. Peter mm -hmm. McCullough, Paul Merrick, um, people with vaccine injuries, people with remdesivir um, mm -hmm. injuries. Hospital stories. Hospital stories. Mm -hmm. And it is um, trying to raise awareness for patients' rights um, and Nurse Freedom Network. Um, and we're going to try to get some action going, try to instill people who give them some actual action things that they can do to begin changing things and turning this big ship. Um, so what AJ and I are going to do, though, this this first hour, we have a pre-recorded video. Yesterday, I spoke with uh, a speaker who will be here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. um, his name is Scott Shara, and you guys might remember him because he was on the show previously. He's the father of Grace, a 19-year-old who was killed in the hospital. Um, and his he has more information for us. And and so Scott is, is going to be giving us more information. And then I encourage you to go to the website, um, ouramazinggrace.net, and, and explore the information there. So AJ and I are going to kind of step back. We're going to let Nathan go ahead and put that video on for us. And when it's over, we will be back. Scott, welcome to An Informed Life Radio. Well, thank you for having me. It's, you know, it's an honor to have you back. Um, a pleasure as well, although I know this is a somber occasion. Um, your journey has been a long and difficult one, um, but I appreciate all of your efforts honoring your dear Grace. Um, and I know you are saving, you and Grace are saving the lives of many to come. You are revealing things that needed revealed. So the light of grace is shining very strongly here. And um, so let's remind our listeners and viewers today about your journey. So you are the father of Grace, who was 19 years old with Down syndrome. She was the light of your life, the joy of your family, um, relatively healthy young woman. Um, when she got COVID. Uh, you had her on uh, an ivermectin protocol and you, she was doing fairly well, but then you noticed that her oxygen saturation levels were kind of low and you were a little concerned. So you brought her to the ER just to get her checked out, you know, make sure. Correct. Um, 
And at that point, in hindsight, you wished you had just got oxygen and gone home. But, you know, they they said, no, she needs to be admitted. And you went ahead and did that. Um, so then I will let you take it from there. Uh, some, some of our viewers and listeners have heard this and some haven't. So if you could kind of recap the events that happened, and then we'll go into the further details that you have to reveal today. So thank you. Uh, Grace was very high functioning. Um, and that makes this even harder. I mean, when you say that she was the love of our life, I mean, that's definitely true. Grace could uh, drive a car, she could read and write. Uh, she rode a horse, she could play violin. I mean, there's really nothing she couldn't do. And then on top of that, she just, she had a great sense of humor and she just loved everybody. She didn't have any hatred in her in her body, which was which was special. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so when we um, we went and checked into the hospital, and one of the take home messages, of course, with this is if this happens to you, you do not have to be admitted. And and when I when you had said that we wish we would have taken her home with oxygen, what I would tell people is that. There is a hundred percent certainty Grace would be alive today if we would have done that. And the reason I say that is because I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died and they saved my life. And they did that by not falling trap to the money trail that the government is using to promote the agenda. And so they did because, things the way they're supposed to. Yeah, because you were battling COVID when your daughter was going through this, right? Is that I got, yeah. right. I got COVID the first day in the hospital with Grace, which I was expecting to get it. I didn't, mm-hmm. it was fine. I mean, you're going to get it if you're in the room with somebody 24 mm-hmm. seven, um, of course you're going to get it. And I did uh, within you know the first 12 hours or so we we're in the room, I already had it. And the reason I know that is I got a fever and I tested myself mm-hmm. and I tested positive. So, I mean, that was, that was fine. That wasn't, uh, but Grace and I ended up in both in the hospital, you know, so that's, that's somewhat of an anomaly, but it's would be based on, as we found out from the research, Dr. Chetty, whose research is on Grace's website has discerned that if you have a genetic disposition to clot and produce inflammation that produces low oxygen, no matter what protocol you're on. And Mm -hmm. I had both of those conditions that I knew of before COVID. And so logically Grace inherited those from me. Anyway, the hospital stay, you know, I, I don't want to get into the details of that because it's all in on Grace's website. I've been on uh, well over 100 programs. So you can pull up just about any one. There's my little descriptions. You can listen to that. But, you know, the first day was the seventh. It was a great day. Second day, they pressured us for a, a ventilator. Um, that's where I, I started uncovering what's going on with ventilators and realized that those are the kiss of death. And ultimately, after Grace died, connected the dots with the money. Uh, Ventilators produce about a $300,000 bonus for the, not bonus, but with the bonus and the money that they get from insurance, it's about a $300,000 payday. Then, you know, their their faulty equipment was discovered the next day, which was October 9th. Um, They're monitoring Grace's oxygen. They... I, I monitored it myself. I had my own oxygen meter in the room because I expected to get COVID. Found out that their their uh, machine is at best faulty. At worst, it's a it's a lie to try to get you to believe a ventilator is necessary. 
And yeah, I've told that story many times. And then mm -hmm. uh, there was something about the leads. They needed to be changing the leads because they're inaccurate when they're damp, but they don't change them. Is Correct. That that's, what I, that's, mm -hmm. that's what I was told as the reason that their oxygen uh, level reported was 10 points at that particular day, 10 points lower than what, what my meter read. And she had, the nurse admitted my meter is accurate. And her wow. excuse was that the leads get sweaty. So mm -hmm. then I challenged, well, why don't you change them out? And I found out after getting the records that they only changed out the leads. In spite of my challenge, they only changed them out three times in seven days. Mm -hmm. And the build cost to Medicaid is only $78 a change out. So it's, mm -hmm. it's very frustrating that they produce accurate numbers, which I've come to believe is on purpose. Mm -hmm. And then on the 10th of October, which was a Sunday, I got kicked out. Um, the head nurse said that I needed to leave immediately. I ultimately was taken out an hour later by an armed guard. And um, then we had 44 hours without advocacy. We had to negotiate with the hospital attorney. We had to hire Grace's special needs attorney to be able to get my daughter, Jessica, in as a replacement advocate. And my wife couldn't do it at that time because she had COVID. So during that window, uh, we found out after the fact that they increased the sedation med on on grace seven different times, which we're going to go into that as we drill down these mm -hmm. details. Ultimately, Grace had a good day the day before she died. Um, and her last day, I'm going to end up drilling that down even further than we did last time. And her last day was the 13th of October. And if we start with, um, did I give enough of a background? I think you really did. And I want to direct um, listeners and viewers to OurAmazingGrace.net. OurAmazingGrace.net. And there you can find fuller length detail of the stories of, because uh, there's a lot of things that happened that we weren't going to recover here today. But if you want the full story on that, please visit OurAmazingGrace.net. There's a way you can sort of donate to help, find out how to take action, so much to do there. But what we're going to do now is move on to, you know, the last minutes of your daughter's life, right? The evidence that you have uncovered. I'm going to go ahead and share. Um, I'm going to share the screen for our viewers and for our radio audience. We will describe this is a printout. Is it from Grace's chart? The um... yeah. So the backdrop of this, so this is new information um, since we talked last. And where, how this came about is we were introduced to Tom Renz. He hired a medical malpractice nurse to review Grace's records that I had. I thought I had everything. She mm -hmm. said, uh, after reviewing them, she said, Scott, you're missing at least a thousand pages. And I said, wow. what are you talking about? And she said, that's how they do it. And so I said, can you help write a request so that we can get the missing pages? So she did. And we received 948 pages with that request. What you have up on the screen is page 853. And uh, this is what we're calling the smoking gun. And this is where we found out the doctor put the DNR order, the illegal DNR order on Greece mm -hmm. at, at 1056 in the morning. And I'm going to go into the DNR and then back into this document. So you don't need to see the document to understand this. But if, okay. you, if you're uh, watching with video, of course, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting helpful. because it's yeah. in black and white what they did. Anyways, and, so and to remind uh, new listeners, DNR stands for do not resuscitate. Thank you. Yeah. So if we go right to the end of Grace's life, uh, the last seven minutes are... Um, 
are terrible. Jessica, who was who is Grace's big sister and the the advocate after I was kicked out, she called Cindy and I at 7:20 that evening, panicking. She said, Dad, Grace's numbers are dropping like crazy. I said, get the nurses in. And she said, they will not come in the room. And so Cindy and I, Jessica estimated there's 30 nurses in the hallway at this point. Cindy and I start screaming, save our daughter. And they holler back, she's DNR, do not resuscitate. And we holler, she's not DNR, save our daughter. This is the first that we knew she's DNR. We had no clue. Jessica ran out in the hallway to find out what's going on. And one of the nurses had the DNR order up on her screen and read it off to Jessica and said, the doctor put a DNR on Grace. And there's nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. And so we watched her die at 727. So now you backfill this. And so now we know the DNR wasn't put on by us um, mm-hmm. because we would know that, right? I mean, you would know that you know if you put a DNR on your daughter. So then, you know, once we found the, this, we connected the dots as to what's going on. And so in Grace's last day, she was put on maximum dose Presidex, which will be the second thing we cover uh, with the new information. She was put on max dose Presidex at 1048 that morning. Eight minutes later, the DNR is put on her. One of the attorneys who reviewed this, he, he thinks that what they did was they thought the Presidex was going to take Grace out. And so in order to accomplish their goal, which I've come to believe was to take her out, they had to have this DNR order in place because just process. Why didn't they save her when we said she's not DNR? Mm-hmm. There's a reversal. There's a reversal drug for what they did. The package insert for morphine says to have the reversal drug bedside and monitor the patient. They didn't do any of that. So you know, it doesn't make any sense unless that was their that was their goal. And so people understand the details of a DNR. A DNR is, you know, the, the state statutes in Wisconsin is what I'm going to go through, but it's going to be similar in every state because it's it's really just codified common sense. So the first requirement of a DNR is that the patient or the patient advocate, which my wife was the medical power of attorney in this case, one of those two has to request it. So Grace didn't request it. Cindy didn't request it. The second thing is after it's requested, the doctor's supposed to go through the ins and out of the DNR so you understand it. So that morning of Grace's last day, he did a version of that. But you're going to see how sly it was when I go through this. So that morning, Grace's last day, he called us at 8 o'clock. And the purpose of his call was he wanted a decision regarding a ventilator. And this was the fourth time that they asked us for a pre-authorization for a ventilator. He had called the night before asking and said, I'll follow up in the morning with your, for your decision. So we told him no. And, you know, in his records for that day, he, he logs that. That's called do not intubate, D-N-I, do not intubate. So, of course, we agreed to do not intubate. That's, we didn't want Grace intubated because that would kill her. And she didn't need it anyway. Um, then he says, Grace had such a good day, we should put a feeding tube in. She was malnourished at this point. She's malnourished because they chose to sedate her instead of feeding her. They wouldn't let me feed her. They wouldn't let Jess feed her. So this is crazy. But we foolishly agreed to this thinking that, okay, well, Grace needs nutrition and she's going to be out of here in a couple of days. And you'll see how that fits in the story when we talk about precedence. 
Yeah, uh, I want to ask, though, did anybody ever explain to you why they were sedating grace? No, but when I talk about precedence, I'm going to go through a couple of theories with that. And, okay. and, and you can, you can it, ask it's, it's not a COVID treatment. And, you know, well, it, it's more than what you think. And that's, okay. it's, uh, you know, everybody's familiar with remdesivir. Hardly anybody knows about Presidex, but it's, it's extremely common. Okay. Uh, it's just not known. Um, so anyway, then, so then he says, well, you know, he goes through this hypothetical. Well, you know, if, if Grace took a turn for the worst, uh, what would you guys want to do? You know, if, if, you know, we're trying to revive her, does it make sense to keep reviving her? You know, he goes through this scenario and, you know, of course, nobody is going to want to keep getting revived infinitely if you're, if, you know, if, if you're um, on your deathbed, but I mean, that Grace wasn't there. I mean, he said she had such a good day yesterday, we should put a feeding tube in. And Jessica, of course, said the same thing. Sure, the oxygen was at 98, 99% all night long the night before. So, I mean, this, this, it seems to me when you, when you see this now that he was framing it so he could have this thread of, you know, to justify, but the next step, what the next step with, with the DNR law is the patient or the advocate has to sign the order. Okay. So now if he wanted a DNR order on grace, the next step he would have had to say is, okay, I'll need you guys to come in and sign this or some version of that. Of course that didn't happen. And then the next thing is they're supposed to put a bracelet on grace. Well, that didn't happen. A DNR bracelet announcing it to the world. And then the, the most egregious is that if you tell them to override the DNR, either the patient or the advocate, which we did when we said she's not DNR, save our daughter, that null and voids any DNR that's in place. So this is, is um, the details of this people have to understand. And when I first discovered this, I thought, you know, I bet you this is the first time they've been caught. And I have found out subsequently that that is right. I talked with a, one of the guys from church and he, when he got uh, checked into the hospital for, with COVID, they made a condition of his admission that he signed a DNR on himself. And then three weeks ago, we received a call from a lady from the East Coast who lost her 37-year-old Down syndrome daughter. She had seen Grace's story and was, she called and um, she was bawling. She had just got the records and she found out that the second day her daughter was in the hospital, they put a DNR on her illegally, same as Grace. So that's the first new piece of news. The, the second one is Presidex. So is there anything on the DNR that you'd like to? Um, I, I guess only that I know with, with COVID because of the, the PREP Act and the shielding from liability because of so-called emergency, that there's a lot of stuff hospitals can get away with, including incompetence. But um, it's my understanding, though, murder is still murder and criminal activity is not covered by that. So I'm hoping that with this new evidence that you have enough to formally charge those involved. We do believe we we do. And I think we're only weeks away right now. I'm going to get an update tomorrow uh, afternoon. Um, Tom Renz has been involved and I'm getting an update on the filing. So it looks like we're, we're close. Okay. Because we Are have you, an overabundance of evidence. Okay. Well, with so many people learning about grace and what happened, uh, it's going to be difficult to find a jury who has not heard about her. So maybe we'll find out how 
how far afield our voice reaches our wonderful network of individuals if they can find a community to, to pull a jury from. So, <laughs> well, that would be a nice problem to have. So. It, yeah, because that will mean that other lives had saved, but we, we need right. grace to have their day in court and justice be served. And hopefully that will have that ripple effect to change entirely change the system. Okay, so yeah, let's move on to this drug, huh? So um, Presidex. So if you want to put up the Presidex package insert. Yes, so there we go. This is the insert for the drug they were giving your daughter who had COVID. And what kind of drug is this? What's it usually used for? So this is an anesthesia drug that's used to knock people out for surgery. And, you know, so this is common. So what we've learned, the nurses who are involved will tell you this is very common. They'll, they'll sedate the patient right away because they're prepping them for a vent. And if they're sedate, they need to be sedated to put a vent in. So they're prepping the patient for the vent. So they just start with sedating them. So that's, that's really the purpose behind it. It's not a right purpose, but that's the purpose they use. Uh, what they get out of it is the room gets classified as ICU. So then they get an ICU bonus for the hospital stay. Uh, in Grace's case, they got an ICU bonus, but Grace's care never changed and her room never changed. Nothing changed. It just the classification changed. And then the maybe the worst piece about being put on a sedation med is that if you try to get your loved one out after they're on a sedation med, it's called against medical advice. So you can't just say, I've had enough, I'm taking them home. It's not allowed once they're on a sedation then. So this is a fairly big deal. It's a um, big deal. You combine, you, you sedate them in preparation of hoping to get this vent bonus. You sedate them, which pretty much guarantees that their uh, respiratory rate will decrease and their oxygen levels drop. You also have a very complacent, compliant hospital patient who's not going to be fighting you and arguing with you about what's going on. I can see a whole lot of things going on there to make uh, whatever they want to do to this patient easier. if The patient has been sedated. This is very, very concerning. And you have highlighted here on this inset, insert for the precedence package, this drug, um, adverse reactions in yellow. So it's highlighted. It says adverse reactions associated with infusions greater than 24 hours in duration include ARDS, A-R-D-S, you can explain what that is, respiratory failure, and agitation. Respiratory failure, stopping to breathe, that's fatal. This is sick. So ARDS is acute respiratory distress syndrome. Uh, and so how this came about, of course, I knew about the package insert early on, but I was on Stu Peters last Friday, and when his producer got a hold of me to be on the show, she said she want, that he wanted to drill down Presidex. So I'm laying in bed, and I thought, you know what? I remember something about Grace's death certificate. And I hadn't looked at Grace's death certificate in seven months. So I pulled it out the next morning. I sent myself an email from bed so I didn't forget. And I pulled it out the next morning. If you go scroll down to the bottom, you'll see I took out from her death certificate uh, the cause of death. And it says specifically, the first cause of death says acute respiratory failure. Well, what did you just get done reading off of the package insert? Yeah, it respiratory causes, failure. It causes respiratory failure with hypoxemia, which is low oxygen, also caused by Presidex. And then the second cause of death listed is COVID-19 
teen pneumonia, of course, because then they get their bonus. Right. They, that is the line that the CDC in March of 2020 said anything COVID related, even if you don't have a positive test, you put COVID-19 down on that particular line and it goes to feed to the COVID-19 death count. Um, and you get the bonuses and everything. This was the biggest deception. Have you met Dr. Henry Ely yet? I have. Oh, he's wonderful. He's the brilliant um, uh, naturopath researcher. He and his team have written like a 400 some page uh, paper that is calling for grand jury investigation into CDC and NIH and what was done, partly the um, what they did with the death certificates, but all of these steps, um, all of these things that were done and put in place caused so much abuse and allowed so much to happen. It's very concerning. Um, I'll be talking with AJ DePriest soon, um, hear more about the details of what our federal government is um, condoning to the point of actually suggesting that they do. It's it's very concerning. It's very, con- I mean, you're right on. I'm glad you're drilling that down with AJ. You know, mm-hmm. So in Grace's case, what happened with this Presidex is that she was on it for four full days. Remember, 24 hours is the max by the package insert. She was on it for four full days before her last day. And then on her last, while we didn't have, I mentioned while we didn't have an advocate, they increased the dosage seven different times. So they did that instead of taking care of my daughter, they sedated her. Then on her last day, they strapped her down to the bed for wanting to go to the bathroom while my daughter, Jessica, was gone for less than an hour taking a shower. During that time, they strapped her down to the bed, made her poop in the bed, increase the Presidex further. Then they do the feeding tube. And right after the feeding tube, they max the Presidex out at 1048 in the morning. So now at 1048 in the morning, Grace is completely knocked out. Mm-hmm. And so now we get into the third thing that I want to talk about. Okay. Uh, maybe the most important. So about, um, it's probably seven, eight weeks ago now. I have finally crossed the line and I am telling people that I believe this is premeditated murder. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that is, um, so the DNR is a big deal. The precedent obviously a big deal, but what's a bigger deal is this timeline of events and the sequence that they had to go through to pull this off. So I want to go through that. Okay. So now Grace is knocked out at, 1048, completely passed out. 1125, they gave her an anti-anxiety med called lorazepam. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know if you know that when people are knocked out, they don't have anxiety. Of course, I'm being facetious. Yes. At 546, they gave her another dose of lorazepam. Three minutes later, another dose. So now she's max dose Presidex, two doses of lorazepam back to back, and at 6.15, dose of morphine. So the, 20, in 29 minutes, she got a combination of meds that would have taken anybody out. So we've known, I, we knew this back in November. Right. And I believe lorazepam, um, I believe it also can have effects on the respiratory system, um, but also difficulty swallowing is one that I recall from a loved one in the past having been on it. I, I had um, 
a relative who was put on three drugs. And then suddenly the hospital says, well, he stopped eating. And I looked up the drugs and, and each one had the side effect of um, reduced ability to swallow. And the nurse didn't know that. Oh, no, that's not true. I said, I've got the package inserts right in front of me. Anyway, yeah. Um, they well, don't it know. Seems, it seems they can't be this dumb. I, I don't, you know, and so the sequence. So, I mean, we knew they had this combination of meds. We knew that that combination killed her. But yeah. what I want to add is what the new stuff that I've learned, because this is what put me, crossed me over to my, my belief changed. Because at first you could think, well, was it just medical malpractice? So medical malpractice has an incidence of accident. Yeah. So medical malpractice is the third leading cause of death in, in our country. So is that what took Grace out? Well, when I learned, okay, so first of all, the doctor had to order those meds. The doctor that ordered them, according to the hospital's documentation on him, has somewhere between 11 and 20 years of experience. Number two is the hospital pharmacist had to sign off on that order. Number three is those meds are contraindicated, which means the, uh, the alarm that monitors the EPIC system that monitors the meds, the alarm would have went off mm -hmm. and they had to override that alarm. Then fifth, so first is lorazepam after she's knocked out, second doctor ordered, third pharmacist signs off, fourth alarm overridden. And fifth, and maybe most important, the nurse who delivered these meds, injected Grace with these meds, was a 14-year ICU nurse, 14 years of experience just in the ICU before, and before that, she had nursing experience. So, I mean, I, I cannot believe that combination could ever happen, that sequence, unless there was intent behind it. I agree with you. I, I can't see it any other way. And if there's a one in a million chance that it was just simply incompetence, these people should lose their jobs and never be near a patient ever again. Um, but this sort of gross incompetence is criminal. But it does seem like, like you said, they had to intentionally, all the fail safes had to be intentionally overridden, even to the point of. I, you know, when, when, like you said, when family shouts, there's no DNR, there's no DNR, save our daughter. They're breaking the law by ignoring you. I mean, there's just so many, I'm so sorry. I know this is so difficult for you. Um, Thanks. Yeah, thank I, you for I've learned, I've learned to compartmentalize this and, you know, and from a technical perspective, you don't see this, but I have a, a separate camera that I look into when I'm talking. And the reason I do is because a lot of times the host starts crying. And then, you know, of course, if I'm looking like this, if I'm looking at you here, it's like, oh, no, you know, then we're, I've lost it a few times. And, uh, but I do my best to compartmentalize it because we got to get the story out. We got to get the story out. We, we really do. And, uh, and I'll hold it together. <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling grace in my heart and, and um, feeling like in this moment, I'm feeling some strength and her love and, and her guidance. So we're going to get through this together. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, so many things that you have lined up and I forgot to hit our, our, uh, button. So I have no idea how long we have been talking, sir. So let's just keep on and we'll see where we are when we get to the end. Sounds uh, good.
Yeah. So was there any other points that you wanted to make sure people knew about? And um, not only because justice needs to be done for grace, as we said, but these are things we want you listeners, viewers out there to be aware of for all of your loved ones. Get patient advocates. Um, make sure, you know, there are some, pa- there's some paperwork and I, I need to get mine in place as well. There's some legal paperwork you can get in place now to try to protect you and, and your family um, for future events. Um, and then we need everybody getting very active in their states with their laws and rules and orders so that we are never put in a position where we're not allowed in the room. We must always have an advocate. Um, we're trying to, you know, there's some legislation in Tennessee. I don't know about Wisconsin. Is there some legislation aimed at patients' rights and advocates? Um, uh, I'm not sure in Wisconsin, you know, the forms and things that you're referencing, though, we do it in the resource link on Grace's website. We have links to all those things, the advocacy forms, the power of attorney forms. Uh, so, you know, we, we've tried to become a resource because, you know, you, you end up having to do that as you start researching. So Yes, and thank you so much for that. With that, I'm going to go ahead and, and share your wonderful website. That is a gift, making it so that people can quickly find these forms. Where do you? So here's our amazing grace. Um, again, it's our amazinggrace.net, and you're going to sign see some beautiful photos of Grace. You're going to hear her story. You get to learn about her big brother um, and about her family, the foundation that you've set up, and then resources. I bet you it's under resources. It is. Yes. Under the resource tab. So like the, uh, if you go to Dr. Artist Forms and select a research study, you'll see a bunch of the forms are there. Okay. Uh, The second from the top on the right. Second from the top on the Dr. Artist Forms. There we go. Okay. I won't click it now. It might go. Does it stay within the website? I'll lose you. I think you have to hit the back button after you do that. I'm not sure. Okay. I don't remember. And the advocacy options you see. So advocacy Mm -hmm. options one and two. um, I mean, there's there's a number of things there. We have AJ DePriest's um, link on... Uh, very good dr mccullough very good resources here thank you and the the ron johnson hearings yeah this is what a great collection you you guys are doing a fantastic job uh with this um yeah so everybody go to our amazinggrace.net um learn about grace and hmm? asked if there's anything else i wanted to share there is one other technical thing and that is where this research has gone is um, is to the why. So, I mean, I think we've got well-documented the what. Uh, we have well-documented the how. Uh, and so then you start going into the why. And, you know, I suspected genocide uh, probably two months ago, but now the research is starting to come out, the stats, you know, so people can't stop getting enough statistics. But one of the articles I read, I think is about three weeks ago now, uh, that disabled females that go to the hospital with COVID are 11 times more likely to die in the hospital compared to non-disabled females. So this, the curtain is just up just a little ways as this veil gets, gets lifted over this whole thing. I think we're going to find out two things um, that have happened on a systemic basis, which one is they took out 
um, an awful lot of disabled people and they took out an awful lot of elderly people. And you know, so the stats are starting to show that, that people are accumulating, but the, yeah. there's a lot bigger picture. I think it was on purpose. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that with a degree of certainty because think about what's been going on in our country over the last at least four decades. So right now the Down syndrome as a disability, 67% of Down syndrome children are aborted before they're born. Mm-hmm. Um, disabled as a, as a culture, a young person gets pregnant and they test. Uh, so they get an amnio to find out if the child's disabled. And then the mm-hmm. doctor recommends aborting if they are. Um, so that's been going on for a long time. So now these young people, I mean, the people that killed Grace, of course, are a lot younger than me. They've already been indoctrinated with that in their culture that, you know, the disabled are useless eaters. Similarly, the elderly are useless eaters in that when I was a kid, the most common way elderly people were taken care of is by their family. But now nursing homes are the standard. So it just is, I mean, these people become in the minds of the population, especially the young population, as worthless. You know, it isn't the same anymore as it was when I grew up. And yeah. uh, so I think this has been mm-hmm. set up for a long time. COVID, of course, is the convenient cover. Everything is mm-hmm. an emergency, which, yeah. you know, it's it's crazy. The emergency use authorization gave blanket authority and immunity to do things that are completely illegal, immoral, uh, illogical, you know, any adjective you want to throw at it. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So that's Inhumane. Last... Yeah. Yes. But we, we're going to put a positive spin on things. Now we're going to look for the, the silver uh, graceful lining of this cloud. Uh, first, let's start with, um, let's see, where have I got? We're going we're gonna to look at these amazing billboards that you have put up. Are these in Wisconsin near the hospital? Yeah. All in Wisconsin in our in our area. Uh, oh, this guy, okay. I, I, uh, I just will tell you the backstory here because it's kind of funny. Um, but just to go with what's going on now, the first one you have up on top, those all got put up last week. Uh, so okay. it says light overcomes darkness, John 1, 5. And grace was a light. Our, the name of our foundation is Our Amazing Grace's Light Shines on Inc. So, mm-hmm. I mean... That's uh, that's because grace was a light, and so that's this is really a tribute to grace, and and we see the time is urgent. I mean, I, mm-hmm. God wants to call people back. Uh, if people aren't right with God, now is the time, and we hope mm-hmm. this story pricks people's hearts to do that. Yeah. Uh, so then you see the another one. We have actually five different vinyls. By the end of this month, we'll have seventeen different boards with five different vinyls rotating and. Um, Wow. So it's become yeah. this big thing. And how it got started, that's what I want to just share because it's 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 a funny story. So w- shortly after Grace died, an attorney that I've come to really respect, uh, we were walking through the legal options and uh, realizing there's not a lot of options because of the PREP Act and the the immunity that it the broad immunity that it grants. Anyway, I so I gave him the the hypothetical question, if I wrote you a check for 250000 what would you do with it? He said, Scott, I wouldn't take your money. You'd be better off spending it on billboards. And with, we'll have about 250000 in billboards wow. um, through this campaign. It's, it's a fairly substantial 
investment. Well, anyway, when the first board went up, I sent a pic, his first name is Lee. I sent a picture of it to Lee via email and he called me and said, I never thought you'd do it. <laughs> I said, Lee, if we get sued over these billboards, you're going to jail, not me, because you're the one who instigated this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there, you know, it, it's a great way. We've we've got to find the way, as you know, as citizens. When we when you live in this sort of whole corrupt system, we got to find a new way. And so that is the other positive thing here. The whole COVID chaos, as dark and and ugly um, as it is, has also revealed systemic things that need fixed. It has shown that light on what we needed to see, and people are stepping up. We It is a tidal wave of people around the world stepping up. And what I love about the people stepping up, seeing the harm, seeing what's wrong, what needs to happen is everyone stepping up has... And and it's funny that um, ironic or whatever, but I've been saying for two years, we do this with grace in our heart. Now I'm going to cry. Okay. (laughs) That's the expression I have been using. We don't do it out of anger. We're not going to go out there and and yell and scream. We're going to have love and grace in our heart, knowing that a lot of the world has been brainwashed. They don't know what they're doing. And so we're going to be open arms, ready to forgive. Welcome to our side. We've got this fantastic out in Washington State, this great gal with Informed Choice Washington, who at the end of her talks to elected officials or Board of Health members, she always invites them to come to our side. (laughs) You know, always that grain of hope that maybe finally they will see the truth. But a whole new way of being doing is being developed, and it's really returning to the earth, returning to nature, returning to God, returning to love, returning to neighbor, knowing our neighbors, returning to personal responsibility, returning to the roots of this nation. There are so many things that we lost over the few decades that have been revealed through through the COVID chaos. And, And I think about, you know, the way life is um, nothing, you know, I guess I go back to showing my age here from the ashes of disaster, grow the roses of success. I think it's from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang or something like that. One of those <laughs> shows from when I was a kid, but nothing is ever destroyed. You know, we life and matter and energy goes from one form to another. There's always this change. And sometimes you go through these things where there's the destructive phase, but nothing is lost. That energy comes back. And if we all pull together around the globe, we can recreate that energy into something good and noble and and worthy of of life as it should be. So that's enough of me being on my soapbox. But (laughs) that was great. So, uh, yeah, um, that's what we do. This is the journey that we're on. So, uh, Scott, thank you. Grace's dad, thank you for being you, for honoring Grace, for visiting us again. And you are welcome anytime in this show when you have new information that you want to share. Uh, very happy to have you on. And I get to see you in a couple of days. I'm very excited. Yes. I get to meet you in person. I don't know if you're a hugger, but look out because I am. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, thanks. I'll very very much look forward to meeting you. 
Yeah, you too. So everybody, please go to ouramazinggrace.net, learn more, empower yourself and take action. Thank you. There we go. What isn't he a dear man? He is so wonderful. What a dad, what a hero. Yeah. His daughter is so beautiful. I, you know, I sometimes I'm just sometimes struck without words because I I imagine myself on his journey Mm. and it's just so heartbreaking, but he's, he's turning this disaster into something Honor, honoring her memory and really going to be saving a lot of people and we're going to help him, right? We're going to help him. And, um, you know, as that recording was playing of, of my interview of him, AJ saying, she's got, we're sitting here and she's got these slides and she's pointing to me to the federal directives that allowed this to happen. Mm -hmm. So I want listeners to sort of take heart in the fact that there are individuals like AJ and our amazing team um, who are doing a deep dive and finding the evidence and then actions will definitely be taken to hold um, people accountable and to stop this so that it never happens again. It's not going to be easy. We need everybody paying attention. We need your support. Um, So just keep listening, keep being brave, keep pressing you know, sending all this information. Um, they have to keep talking about this. Everybody needs to just keep talking about this nonstop to everywhere, everybody they meet, everywhere they go, mm-hmm. to their lawmakers, just to anybody that will listen. Because, um, you know, this evidence is out there. And the more people who talk about it, then the more people know. And we're going to reach a tipping point where the people who make laws in this country are not going to have any choice but to listen. Yeah. That's what we want. That's exactly what we want. And it's going to, it, it's going to take all of our voices. Mm-hmm. If you yeah. don't ever think that your voice does not count, That's it right. really does. Um, and if you're not one um, that feels brave and comfortable standing up on your own, go grab somebody who's loud like Bernadette, right? <laughs> um, if you're in Washington state, Contact informchoicewa.org. Just email contact informchoicewa.org. Go to the website. Join our action team. If you want to take action, we'll hook you up with people in your local community that you can do things together with. If you want to visit, visit your legislature, legislator, your own elected official, mm-hmm. you know, you can buddy up with somebody. We can help provide talking points. And I know that every single state in the union there are similar medical freedom informed consent groups. In Tennessee, we've got the Tennessee uh, Coalition for Vaccine Choice. Right now it's a Facebook page. You can go there. Um, There's Stand for Health Freedom. There's Children's Health Defense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are so many places and all of these places have action campaigns. And it's not just the email actions. As important as it is for them to hear your email voice, Mm you need to be also choosing those actions that, that are real world boots on the ground. Yeah. And the communities too, the communities, just, just people getting together and talking about these things and offering support, especially to victims and victims, families. There's so many groups and, and they spend so much time in fellowship with each other. And I think that's been probably the thing that's made it most successful in Tennessee 
is just, um, you know, the, the face to face, the, the grassroots yeah. people, like you said, boots on the ground. Yeah. It's more than just, you know, people in a telegram group or a Facebook page. They're actually activities and events that people can get together face to face, face to face, get the information. Mm -hmm. A lot of places like Stanford Health Freedom and Children's Health Defense are excellent at providing printables. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. once you learn to navigate the system and you find out there, there's flyers to hand out, there's videos to share. Um, that sort of thing. There's, you know, white papers that you can print out or email and then get conversations with individuals so you can educate, educate, educate. An educated public cannot have their freedom stolen. Mm -hmm. Right. So and nobody can argue with evidence. I mean, yeah. you, you can speak emotionally all day long and people will just turn the other turn the other way. Mm -hmm. But if you lay down hard evidence and facts, yeah. they have no choice. No one can argue with facts. Yeah. No one can argue. Well, they try. Well, actually they try not to. So mm -hmm. even before COVID, anybody in the medical freedom vaccine reform movement, we could not get, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. would try to get debates mm -hmm. and Sometimes they would be set up, but at the last minute, um, whoever he was going to debate would pull out. Mm -hmm. And and usually it was told, I was told by my employer that I could not have this debate. I was told by my medical association I could not participate in this debate. I was told I wasn't media ready. I couldn't participate. <laughs> media ready, yeah. yeah. In other words, they couldn't find corroborating evidence yeah. to the contrary. So yeah. they had nothing to argue with but emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And um, through a public records request several years ago in Washington state, um, I had asked for my own name. So it was interesting to see what came back. And there was something where, um, mem first of all, memos were going around that pretty much said, do not engage. Listen respectfully to the people give public comment that oppose, you know, vaccines or the vaccine engage. program. Yeah. Do not engage. Do not respond. Do not get into scientific debate. Public health will not go there. They won't. And and how can you, how can you have a functioning system that's respectful of the people, you know, right? That it's you, not, you serve it's not, if you refuse public, to, it's not public health. If it's, if there's no public involved, there's no public involved. <laughs> right. And, and now like in Washington, they just brought on a couple new members to the board of health and they are the consumer representatives. Yeah. One of them, yeah. um, I believe she just left the attorney general's office and she's working for the department of like children and families. She's basically works for public health. Wow. How is this representative of a consumer? And then the other person has deep ties with in the dental world, but with, with public health. And these are not representatives mm. of the average consumer of, of health, of medicine, of, vaccine products, right? Or injection products. You yeah. remind me of the so-called advocates that hospitals have. Yeah. They're, they work for the hospital. They don't work for the family or the patient. Right. right. So these people who work in public health that are supposed to be community uh, liaisons, mm -hmm. they're, they're not the least bit interested in the, the community's best interest. They're interested in their client's best interest. Right. Well, it's a very sad fact that when when humans make organizations that have a mission to to do something, to accomplish a goal, it all seems well and noble. Mm -hmm. But the bigger that organization gets, the more its goals shift 
to preserve the organization instead of serving the goal. Right. And, you know, nothing. Exactly when there's money involved. Money involved. Yes. And, and I've said this over and over, but it's one of the most important facts about public health is there is no, it's no system of checks and balances. All the information comes from the top. Nobody criticizes and everybody blames by pointing upward and says mm-hmm. nothing we can do. They don't question. You cannot have a functioning health system if you're not allowed to, to be critical. Right. And there's no, so that's one of the things I, is my main mission on this earth, whatever time I have left is to put in really good checks and balances to anything that's public health. I'd like to take all pharmaceuticals completely out of the realm of public health, put them back where it belongs in the right. doctor patient right. relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, really, they should have nothing to do with medical directives. And there's our time. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, AJ and I are going to give you some specifics. We're going to give you the facts on why what happened to Grace was allowed to happen. And um, you're going to want to hear this. So stay tuned. You've been listening to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW, and CHD TV. We'll be right back. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me love. We need a revolution. 
Hello and welcome back to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. I am here in person with AJ DePriest, uh, awesome woman. And um, do we need a revolution? Yes. Are we in the midst of a re- revolution? Yes. This is a peaceful revolution. That's right. This is a, a we're in a sort of a war of information. We're in a marketing war. Um, but we're also in a, a time of absolute change, something that's needed for a long time. And we've been sort of thrown off the cliff into saying, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's time for change. But this is our peaceful revolution. And I'm going to mostly try to shut up and let AJ talk because she's got information for you that you need to know to share to others. And right off the top, let's tell people that there's there's a new Email address. Right. So what the, a lot of the information um, AJ is giving you is going to be in a series of white papers that are going to be coming online um, very soon. And if you would like access to these white papers when they become available, just send an email to TLN white papers at protonmail.com. And the TLN stands for Tennessee Liberty Network. So TLN white papers at protonmail.com. Yeah. And we have our, our first white paper on our, when we followed the money on education. So that white paper is finished and we're distributing that widely. And then our, our first medical white paper is um, in the final draft. And it feels like we're just never going to get done because every time we get close, there's something else we feel like, you know, we're, we're yeah. like the authors. We're always adding yeah, to it and it's exactly. never done, but well, it's maybe, a living document. Maybe you could start releasing 1.0, 2.0, right. 3.0. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Right. Yeah. It, even says, it even says draft in a watermark because yeah. we want people to have it. And um, we're filing copyrights on these, but they're going to be public domain fair use because we want we want everyone to take these. We want them to use them, to quote them to do whatever they want with them. And we only ask that they, if they use a paragraph or a section or the whole thing, that they also include the sources at the bottom of each page, Mm -hmm. because we don't want this to be anecdotal information anymore. We don't want people to say, um, I I heard that it's $40,000 for a ventilator. We want people to give that evidence that will take you right to the website for the government that shows you exactly how much hospitals are getting paid Mm -hmm. so that these are facts now and they Mm -hmm. can't be argued. Facts that can't be argued. Yeah. And you put that together with, and maybe this is a a whole other place that has to happen a collection with like, I think about spring of 2020 and some YouTube videos of amazing doctors going after a 18 hour shift, pleading and saying the ventilators don't work. They're dying on the ventilators. This is not, a, it, we need something else. They need oxygen, but not the pressure, you know? They knew that. So why in 2022 are COVID patients still being yeah. put on vents? And It's um, money. It, it is definitely That's money. half of it. Yeah. Anyway. So let's begin first 
by explaining to uh, to the listeners here some things that um, Scott Scherer revealed about Grace. Now, she was on Medicare, and a lot of these rules have to do with Medicare payments. Medicare and Medicaid. Medicare the and Medicaid. CM- CMS is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. Okay. And CMS was absolutely weaponized and funded with billions and billions of dollars by the CARES Act in 2020. Wow. Um, the CARES Act weaponized and funded uh, Health and Human Services, HHS, and then the money just sort of filtered down to a number of agencies and organizations like the NIH, the CDC, uh, CMS, um, uh, NIAID, Fauci's organization. And, um, and we shouldn't be at all surprised to know that the NIH protocol is Fauci's protocol. Gates and Fauci were heavily involved in the development of that protocol. And if you know the history of uh, Fauci and Gates together, especially if you read any of Kennedy's book about the real Anthony Fauci, Fauci. then you know that, Mm -hmm. that they have a history and history has repeated itself numerous times with either Fauci or Fauci and Gates. Mm -hmm. And so the NIH protocol that, that killed Grace and, and almost a million other Americans is the very same playbook. Wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. So I'll just let you go ahead and go through. And as I hear things that were specific to Grace, I will um, mention that, or I'm sure you will mention that. Um, yeah. So many things that happened to Grace are, were things that we experienced um, with our advocates and across all across America. Um, We started out in just Tennessee, but then people started contacting us from all over the United States, all over Europe as well, Mm -hmm. all over the world. And um, we really couldn't help people in other countries because we're, we don't know their laws. We don't know for us, it was the cares act and the CRRSA act that funded these things. And we have, we just don't know. We didn't go do the deep dive on Europe and Asia and places right. like that. But every single every single case is the exact same playbook. It's the exact same one-size-fits-all protocol for every single COVID patient that goes into the hospital. And never in the history of modern medicine have they ever assigned a one-size-fits-all mm-hmm. protocol to every single person mm-hmm. who comes into the emergency room with uh, before COVID, if, if it was pneumonia, then they would try a number of different medications. Right. Not everybody responds to the same exactly. antibiotics or to the, to the same anything. And here we had a brand new set of symptoms from a, 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 a well, now we know a, um, gain of function right. virus, but it was new. How could they know that on this and only this is the way to proceed? It made no sense that they suddenly said, you have to do it this way to the exclusion of all others. But it, was, it wasn't really a new set of symptoms because it's basically pneumonia. It's basically um, ARDS. It's, yeah. it's, there's a number of, of symptoms that, that are like other symptoms of typical things that people would go to the emergency room and be admitted. But, but, the, mm-hmm. but the one protocol that was used, um, it, it's all tied to money. And of course, this uh, yeah. what, what we believe is basically genocide. 
Um, one of the things that Scott mentioned was that they about the records. When they yeah. tried to get the records, the attorney said, oh, you're missing about a thousand pages. Explain right. to right. us what happened with the records. So many things that happened to Grace and a million other Americans. Um, and the records is just one of those things. But this CMS, which is the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, they issued a series of waivers in 2020. And it's it's important to note that CMS doesn't make laws. They don't make laws. They, they're, they're not even a regulatory agency at all. But CMS issued waivers to all hospitals in 2020, hundreds and hundreds of waivers that would allow hospitals to do things on the name of COVID, on the name of a public health emergency, because hospitals were just so bombarded with cases that they allowed hospitals to do things that before COVID, patients could sue easily and just rip the funding guts out of hospitals with lawsuits. Wow. But these these waivers allowed hospitals to, to not release medical records for 30 days or more after the request. Wow. Um, access to medical records. Before COVID, if you had a loved one in the hospital, you could have access to the patient portal immediately and you could see the daily records. You could see the daily doctors and nurses notes. You could see what was called the, um, the, um, the MARs, which is the medication administration record. Mm -hmm. You could see all of that, mm -hmm. but with COVID they issued a waiver saying that they don't have to give patients, families or the patient access mm. to that portal. So they don't see all the records. Mm -hmm. And when they request records, they don't have to give them until 30 days or more. And when they finally give them the records, they don't have to give them absolutely everything. You practically have to get a subpoena just to get all the records, but a lot of um, a lot of a lot of people like um, Truth and Honor Consulting, mm -hmm. they're able to help families figure out a way to request records so that they get absolutely everything. And it's typical to see records of ten thousand pages or more. That and there's a website, truthandhonorconsulting.com. Uh, Truth and Honor. Yeah, let's. I think that's it's Truth and Honor TN. But okay. let's see. Oh, in Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's just really an amazing amount of groups that are being formed to help people. And I feel like I need like a old fashioned yellow pages of just of these organizations so we can uh, stay on top of it. But we can find that uh, later. Um, so there it is. But by the time you get the information of what's happening to your loved one, it's too late for you to take action. It's too yeah. late for you to say, what the heck is going on? Stop that. Or I did not do that. I did not, you know, you, you need to know, you need to, to be an advocate. You need to have the information about what is being done for the person that you're advocating for. If you have, you have one year from the day that you realize that you've been wronged or your loved one was wronged to file a lawsuit. And after that, it, that one, once you hit that one year mark. Mm -hmm. So if you had a loved one die of COVID in a hospital and then you didn't you didn't realize that there was some kind of malfeasance or malpractice or negligence involved until six months later, mm -hmm. then your one year starts at that six month mark. The the day you realize that something is wrong and you pursue that. Okay. 
But the PREP Act, unfortunately, has blocked every single effort for anyone wow. to ever file a lawsuit about this. Wow. Yeah. And th- that's that's an interesting subject in itself because... That's, that's the thing I wanted you to explain. You know, the, the PREP Act does not cover willful... Uh, willful... Willful negligence. Willful negligence. Or willful misconduct. Willful misconduct, which I think we will all agree in Grace's case, there were a series of willful misconduct steps taken. We have the uh, the request for drugs that in combination are lethal. We have the pharmacist mm-hmm. filling it, his alarm bells going off, his probably actual computer alarm bells going off, filled it anyway. And then, you know, at each stage, there's alarms and sign-offs and, and they would have had to have known what they were doing. And that, you know, and then of course the DNR being put in mm-hmm. without uh, family consent. And then of course, we've got the family begging and pleading saying we did not put in a DNR mm-hmm. at which point, um, if somebody says, stop the DNR, you're supposed to stop it. Yeah. Even if you had put it in place under CMS waivers though, that were issued, all of these things are being allowed. And because of the prep act, no one can sue. So are you saying that un- with, with these, uh, under the PREP Act and with the waivers, that doctor could put that in without, right? that's part of what, yeah. wow. Um, uh, uh, and even, even the willful misconduct exception to the PREP Act, if, um, if, you, if you got that doctor into a court, any lawyer, any judge would just simply have to ask, did you think that was the right thing to do for the patient? And all the doctor would have to do is say yes, and then willful misconduct is off the table. It would be impossible to to prove any willful misconduct because of the PREP Act and because uh, it covers covered countermeasures Mm -hmm. and the entire NIH protocols and all those CMS waivers are included in those covered countermeasures. And if a doctor is asked, did you think did you think issuing the DNR without the family's consent was the right thing to do? If the doctor says yes, how could how could a do. DNR be in the best interest of the patient? The doctor could simply say the her condition was not consistent with life, and that you know she she would have had more wow. brain damage, or you know she wow. would have been on a ventilator, you know, in, indefinitely. And, and that's all he, he'd have to say. Okay. All right. I'm going to let you go through some of the points here mm. on your um, slides. I'm fortunate we're not in a position to, to share them with you, but she's going to read these off. And eventually, as I said, TLN white papers at protonmail.com, you'll eventually be able to have this information for yourself. Finding the why was probably the most important thing for us because uh, we knew, we knew back in 2020 that, um, and just from you know listening to Dr. Artis, mm-hmm. that remdesivir was killing patients, and we were meeting doctors who who were telling us that they were leaving their positions in the hospitals because they finally realized that remdesivir and this NIH protocol was killing patients, and they just could no longer do it. But it wasn't until we formed Liberty Network in and uh, January of. 2021. And we started digging into the money of the CARES Act and finding out how that money filters down through the CARES Act to all of these agencies and organizations and where it goes. And then we discovered first, 
and foremost that um, that the money going to hospitals through the CARES Act, mm -hmm. um, that there was a, a per admission COVID reimbursement. And it was going, it was going mostly to hospitals that had higher uh, demographics of Medicare and Medicaid patients. And when you say reimbursement, was this to cover their expenses or was this extra money on top of the expenses of caring for this patient? Extra money. There, for Tennessee, it was $166,000 for every COVID admission. And some states had as much as $471,000 yeah, for COVID admissions. Yeah. And then other states that you would think would have a lot more because of just it, what a hot spot it was like New York. It was only 12000 for every COVID mm -hmm. admission. But they based this distribution of funds from the CARES Act to hospitals based on the state's previous year's uh submissions of Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements. Hmm. So they focused more that money to states. And this is how we know that our federal government, it, their, their goal was to systematically eliminate a segment of our population that costs the most to society. And we're talking about Medicare patients, Medicaid patients, um, people with multiple comorbidities, people with diabetes, high blood pressure, people who are overweight, people with Down syndrome, um, people who had um, just other conditions that that over time would cost the system a lot of money. And if you look at the million people who died, most of them fit in those categories. And the really horrible part of all this is that we know that it's not COVID that killed this group of people in the mm -hmm. hospital mm -hmm. because those very same people with those comorbidities, Medicare, Medicaid, um, people who, who are 400 pounds overweight, people who are in stage four cancer, those people treated with early treatment outside mm -hmm. the hospital, they, they survive. survive COVID. Yes, they survive COVID. So it's not yeah. COVID that's killing them. No. It's the hospital protocols. No, exactly. And we've known that since spring of 2020. Yeah. So the so the first initial payment to hospitals uh, in Tennessee, for instance, $166,000. We knew about that. But there's also just the, the PCR test racket going mm -hmm. on where it, a, a simple PCR test for one patient can range anywhere from $20 for the initial test up to almost $1,600, depending on if it was positive, if it turns into an admission, then, then the price gets bigger and bigger and is reimbursed um, according to that. Wow. But one of the things that we discovered in our research was something called DRGs, and it's diagnosis-related groups. And the best way to describe a DRG is when you take your car to the shop and they plug in the little computer and it gives them a code. And then that code tells them this is probably what's wrong with the car. And you have to go through these particular steps and this is how much it's going to cost. Mm -hmm. And it's a very efficient way to run healthcare from an administrative and financial standpoint. But if you treat us like we're just cookie cutter robots right. and not human beings <laughs> and, and not just that, but CMS assigned such outrageously bloated reimbursements for these DRGs. So a simple COVID DRG, which is just simple COVID, you come in, you have COVID and these are the, the things that they do for that. And this and the reimbursement for that is almost ninety three hundred dollars. 
That's wow. that's for one. That's on top of the hundred and sixty six thousand for Tennessee. And wow. if they're and if they diagnose another other COVID related illness, it's another six thousand. If they have COVID related bronchitis and asthma, which they might as might as well have, that's another forty nine hundred dollars. If they develop ARDS, which I believe I saw on Grace's, yes. that's another thirty seven hundred. Mm-hmm. And this goes on and on. And once they go into acute kidney failure from the remdesivir. Mm-hmm. then that is another $13,000. If the patient has HIV or AIDS, it's another $19,000. And if they have a COVID patient on a ventilator for up to, from for 96 hours and beyond, it's almost $40,000. So you could have each of these DRGs that I just mentioned for just one COVID patient. So every Easily. one of those DRGs adds up and the hospital is tasked with following the DRG to the letter. Mm. That's why patients can't get ivermectin or HCQ or even proning or budesonide. They say no to those things. We have X protocol. This is what we do. And those are the DRGs. And the reason why they do that is because the DRGs have a 20% bonus. So the, the what we determined is that the average reimbursement to hospitals for a complex COVID inpatient, which is remdesivir to dialysis, the ventilator, and then whether they live or die, it's approximately $293,000. That's the average. But if they follow the DRGs to the letter, and that's the NIH protocol, Mm -hmm. then they get what's called a 20% DRG bonus on top of that total charge. And that bonus we found another bonus that's triggered by the DRG bonus, and it's called the CTAP in CTAP bonus. And what that is, is introducing new drugs in the, in the NIH protocols to that patient um, list of, of DRGs. And that's, that's the molnupiravir, the Paxlovid, you know, all those new drugs, remdesivir outpatient, um, remdesivir for babies now, anything that's new, that's listed as new and updated in the NIH protocols, the DRG, once you uh, once you basically uh, um, can get the, tw- the DRG 20% bonus, that triggers the other 20% bonus. So that's why they're adding all these new things to the protocol so, so they can get the extra 20%. So I'm just going to, to make the math, math easier, let's say $300,000 for is the money that they get for a complex COVID inpatient. Yeah. You add the 20% to that. So that would be $60,000. Oh, don't forget the 166000 Oh, plus that. That's okay. Ju- okay. So, so 300000 so four sixty six. Yeah. And then the bonus on top of that? Right. Yeah. 60. And then that's, but it's it's, it's 120. I've already lost track. So we're getting close. (laughs) I can't do math. So (laughs) yeah, we're, we're we're over half a million dollars for one patient. Right. How many people, how, how does the um, federal government have any money left? Okay. The bottom line for a hospital system that treats 5,000 COVID patients over the course of the pandemic, Ramdesivir alone could be a golden ticket to close to 100 million in federal reimbursement. And that's just for that's using just for remdesivir. remdesivir. Just the, that one the, drug. The drug that damages your kidneys right. and your liver does not do anything to shorten illness or improve mm-hmm. outcomes. No. 
And um, if you look at the bottom line for hospitals, wherever you live, look at your local hospitals, look online, look at their press releases, call them and ask them to give you information about uh, their net uh, their net operating expenses and, and their net um, income. Because I can tell you that Tennessee hospitals, um, almost all of them have operated at a net loss up to 2020. And after that, they all operated at a net income. Mm. And they're using that extra money to do a lot of things because they're they're just and and they act like it's um some kind of surprise, a miracle that they are finally operating in the black. What kind of things are they doing with the money? Uh well, I can tell you that um Tenova Hospitals, uh, they have a sixty-seven point five million dollar expansion in the works. Mm. And um and they're they're claiming that um they began planning this project in mid 2020. Oh, who, who plans like this in the middle of a pandemic anyway, unless you are, unless you are making piles of money and you know, you're going to make more. I mean, and it says that this happened, um, think that they're thankful for all that helped to make this happen. Many of whom are in attendance today. This is from their press release, but they don't think the people who aren't in attendance. And those are the people who, who, who died who to died pay for this, to pay for this. Yeah. Right. That's, that's just one cook cookville regional. They say they're using their net income to reinvest in equipment and services to better serve patients. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. Williamson medical center. Um, they were asked by their County commission if they were making uh, more money from COVID patients and they said, we're getting the same money that anybody would be getting. They, they said no more than anyone else, <laughs> but that's because every hospital, you know, they're, so they said, despite labor challenges, profits soar amid pandemic. So if you, if you live in an area where you know that patients are dying in hospitals, just look at their press releases and if they're bragging about operating in the black and, and having all this money despite a pandemic, then mm. then you know that th this is what they're doing. They're making this a ton what of money. They're doing. If, yeah. if they were beginning to think about how to spend the money March 2020, they would have had to get their accountants doing the math and see how many people have to follow the protocol to earn us enough money to do this. Yeah. That is yeah. sick. Nobody plans a $68 million expansion in the middle of a, in the middle of a pandemic, the beginning of a pandemic yeah. in the beginning when they were yeah. in the red six months into <laughs> yeah. a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, who does that? Who right? does that? But so many of them did, but, um, but it's, it's, you know, it's more than that. It's, um, it's these hospitals that they, they've followed these CMS waivers and they're, the waivers have done so much e more. Explain to us what a CMS waiver is. What so is a waiver? CMS issued these waivers, which basically gave hospitals permission to either do things or not do things that they wouldn't normally get to do all in the name of the public health emergency. Okay. And these waivers only exist during the public health emergency, which is at the national level and very interesting things we found about that. I'll tell you in a minute. But they they've issued these waivers that say um, there's one that says um, you you can just remove your patient bill of rights. You can just remove it from your website. That is you can, so shocking that yeah. you can just remove your patient mm -hmm. bill of rights. One hospital they took a woman's um, her her paperwork where she had power of attorney and tore it up and threw it in her face and said that's no good here. 
in the parking lot and then called the police to have her removed from the parking lot. Yeah. And another patient's brother at that same hospital, we have a recording of the CEO of that hospital saying they don't have a patient bill of rights. Oh, good heavens. But the CMS waiver allows hospitals to do that, not only to remove their patient bill of rights, but to disregard patient rights, all in the name of public health emergency. There's also a waiver that allows patients to be left alone in a room for up to 48 hours without food or water or personal care. Yeah. There's also a CMS waiver that says they don't have to assign a respiratory lead to COVID patients or that they don't have to assign a doctor to a Medicare or Medicaid patient. Um, They'll also, there's a waiver that allows doctors who have suspended or uh, expired licenses or licensed in other states to come in and work in hospitals. And this is all during a public health emergency. If the PAG ended in the United States, and that's not the same as the state of emergency for every state, Mm -hmm. The public health emergency is on a national level Mm -hmm. and it was enacted in early 2020 Mm -hmm. and it's been renewed every three months Mm -hmm. since then. Our Congress voted to end the PHE on August, on uh, March the 3rd. And PHE stands for? Public health emergency. Okay. This it's so important that people understand this because our, our Congress voted 48 to 47 to end it, Mm -hmm. but it went to Biden's desk and he didn't sign it. And then at the end of April, he renewed it again for three months. Mm. And as long as the PHE exists, mm-hmm. then the PREP Act liability is exists. Mm-hmm. Once the PHE ends, that liability ends. Okay. Once the PHE ends, all these big payments to hospitals a l- ends. A little bit. I need to go back and read it. But I know several months ago when I was reading the PREP Act, there was some language in there, at least for product coverage, that they leave some leeway, a window of time after the emergency end, right, right. during which these products are still covered yeah. so that they just don't leave these companies in a lurch, right. supposedly. So if the, right. if the PHE ends on on September fifth, mm-hmm. then then the liability coverage um, extends to the end of that month. Is it just 30 days? I was thinking yeah, it might be longer. It's for the yeah. remainder of the month, however okay. long it is. But but they keep perpetuating it every month. And, yeah. and the organization that we found that's most responsible for pushing the perpetuation of the PHE mm-hmm. is the American Hospital Association. Because they want to keep the money coming of in. Course. Of course. Of course. Well, even at um, the recent Washington State Board of Health meeting, um, it was mentioned, well, you know, we don't know when the emergency, because it's still a declared emergency by the governor in Washington state. And it was mentioned, though, that, yeah, but if we keep the emergency going, that helps access to funding. Right. So every everything is about the money, money, yep. money, money. More appropriations. wants yep. it to end. And I'm going to scroll for just a second because it reminds me that the Washington State Department of Health recently circulated um, along different healthcare workers. And, you know, I get all sorts of emails and, and things within one email. It's had an announcement 
that Pfizer's Comirnaty, the licensed Comirnaty product, was going to be available for a very limited amount of time. There were only 20 million doses that were going to be available in the entire United States. And when they were gone, they were gone. And when was this? This was just recently, like a few oh. days ago. And so Comirnaty hasn't been available before now? No, and, and they've never admitted it, but you could That's read it right in this public health announcement from Washington State. And and the thing is, I'm trying to think, why would our public health system, they, they listen to us. They know we're saying the licensed product isn't available. Only the EUA product right, is available right. and they are legally distinct, right? legally yes, distinct right. and how they can be treated. And they know we use that as part of our defense to try to help people not be right. forced out because of their job can't to mandate. get it. They, they can't force it. Supposedly, yeah. but they do it anyway. They break right. the law. So why bring 20 million doses only into the entire United States and then say no more will be coming? What is that all about? There's got to be some political, no, legal I, finagling. I think it's I think it's more um, that the 20 million is going to be used as a clinical trial. They're gonna, they're just going to to use 20 million of those as a clinical. That's they're they're going to do the oh. testing on people, 20 million people. <laughs> That's why that's that's their yeah. That's so hurry and group. hurry and sign up. Yeah, sign up with so the you can licensed product. Yeah. Oh, they've already been proven safe and effective. Right. Right. Yeah. But this will be because they yeah. they unblinded. This so is there, how there will be does no it. completed phase three trial studies for no, anything. No. And at the end of June, and there probably won't be no, know, the, a placebo. No. Yeah. At, at the end of June, the FDA is going to be deciding whether or not all future formulations of existing COVID shots. Um, can be excused from any further testing if they yeah. just update their formulations. Well, if they can it's get horrific. if they can get these COVID shots on the childhood vaccination schedule, then mm. it won't even matter if the PHE ends and the Prep Act is the liability yeah. coverage is removed because once it's on the childhood vac schedule, that's it. There's yeah. there's absolutely anybody who's received the shot in the past and anybody who received the shot in the future will have no recourse whatsoever. Yeah, it'll yeah. be done. But I pray everybody, please, you know, one of the best, easiest places to go to get the data is go to um, Children's Health Defense. That's right. Um, and get the information, educate everybody, you know, don't let your children um, be victim to this. It breaks my heart that we know before this stops their babies are going to die yeah. from these shots. They're at virtually zero risk from COVID. And but it's not, it's it's been not a, just kids, though. I mean, now they're 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 prescribing remdesivir outpatient. Yeah, to and, the babies. Mm -hmm. And the timing, and not just the babies, but to everyone. And the timing of this is very interesting. And it's so obvious what they're doing because more people are not going to the hospital. They're just not going. Mm. And so those big money-making NIH protocols for inpatient COVID treatment, they're tanking. They're, mm -hmm. They've hit a fiscal cliff because people aren't going to the hospital. But now when people get COVID outside the hospital and they don't want to go to the ER, they'll call their doctor. And now they're prescribing outpatient pill yeah. form remdesivir. Mm -hmm. And that's going, that's the gateway drug 
to get them back in, back the, in hospital. the hospital because then they'll start having respiratory yeah. failure. So they keep making yeah. the money off of the big expensive remdesivir drug. Yeah. And then that remdesivir drug yeah. is getting them to the hospital. Remdesivir, otherwise known as Vecluri by Gilead Sciences, yes. was number 19 on Fierce Pharma's top 20 drug sales um, uh, for 2021. They were number 19. Yeah. Number one was Pfizer's community mm. and the EUA combined in 30 some billion for 2021 alone. I think number three was Moderna's um, yeah. shot. There was a, um, was it a cancer and autoimmune drug number two? All of the top 20 sales are all interrelated. They're either, um, Shots, vaccines, Gardasil is on there as Ugh. one of their number one best selling, most profitable oh products, right? Um, or they were cancer drugs or autoimmune issue drugs. Yeah. And we know that the shots cause the autoimmune right. um, issues, right. the whole thing. Okay. So what else? How are we doing on time here? We're doing good. We've got about, you know, 15, 20 minutes. So what other information do you have for us that we might not yet have have heard from you. This is really alarming. I, you know, every time I speak to you, the amount of money per patient mm -hmm. seems to go up and up yeah. and up. And, and we're still finding DRGs that are associated with COVID. There, there are just pages, hundreds of pages of mm -hmm. DRGs. And, you know, they created a new ICD code just for COVID. The yeah. ICD 10. And, and within that, the DRGs are just, it's a massive, Oh my gosh, it's a massive spreadsheet for mm -hmm. us to go through and and to figure out the pricing for each one of those. But it it is so much money, and they can a one patient can have hundreds of DRGs associated with the charges, mm -hmm. and so that you know a a COVID patient can can reimburse a hospital a, a million dollars or more just one patient. Um, and if it's, if it's a simple cut and dry case where they go in, they refuse remdesivir, somehow they survive, you know, it could be 50 to $60,000, mm -hmm. but it doesn't really serve the purpose because what, what we saw in health and human services, the HHS federal register regarding uh, setting up the DRGs and, and giving CMS this power um, was that they were calculating how much money hospitals would make from COVID, but they were also calculating how much money their systems would save over the next 10 years because these people were no longer a Alive. financial drain wow. on their systems. It's it's so appalling. I wish we were in a dystopian novel or dystopian That's what it movie, feels like. but we it, are it in real like life. It. And as a lot of us have said in the past, um, Mr. Gates, Mr. Fauci, Fahrenheit 451, Brave New World, 1984. These were mm -hmm. not manual how-to manuals. These were warnings. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it seems Absolutely. like... But, you know, and when you put together, AJ, when you put together what you uncovered... Through public health, the incentivizing of, of commoditizing human beings and the more who die in specific um, categories, the better. You add that with the alarming legislation that is being attempted in some places, like in California, yeah. where they said what they wanted to do is take money away from law enforcement. If law enforcement refused to enforce 
uh, public health regulations like wearing of masks and that Lockdowns sort of thing, and, mm-hmm. they would defund the police and take that money and give it to the health department. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the CDC saying, you guys can't do that. We should have more power. Just give you, us more money. Give us more money. Right. No, and they want more power. Right. They mm-hmm. want to say, yeah. you guys mask up and you have to do it right now. CDC is just, re- is just, they give recommendations and guidelines. Yeah, it's not a they don't agency. Write, no, they, they don't write law. They're not a regulatory no, agency. But that's what they're working toward. Yeah. They yeah. want to be able to say, you've got a triple mask. You've got a quintuple Never doing that. injection, right? <laughs> and you can't say no because we're the science. We're Fauci. We're, science, we're, we're yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. So it looks like the weaponization of medicine is coming at us from all sorts of angles. And the messaging behind it, if you're not aware of it, if you, know, if you haven't pulled back that curtain yet to see the little man, you know, mm-hmm. um, is... is it's for the greater good. Yeah. It's to build a better system. I mean, the the language is all seems well and noble, but once you actually understand what's driving it, and then you hear it again, it's so sickening. It's and what, so- what they're really what they're really driving toward, and and I've seen this before because this happened when Bill Clinton was in office and his wife was flying around the country on her broomstick trying to implement single-payer government-run socialized medicine in Mm -hmm. every state. Mm -hmm. And Medicare for all legislation is coming. That's what they keep pushing. And they're destroying Mm health care and everything about our health care system in in an effort to introduce this this saving legislation. And it's going to be everything that is everything that is wrong with with socialized medicine all over the world. And it's going to be, yeah. it's going to be VA. It's going to be um, social security. It's going to be Indian health services, every bad government run socialized yeah. system all wrapped up in one for every single person. And we know right. what this legislation looks like because we've, ex- we've been examining it since, since Bill Clinton was in office. And then when Obama took office, it was Obamacare. Mm-hmm. And we've seen what Bernie wanted to introduce. And it's the same old, tired, mm-hmm. socialized medicine plan that gets more egregious with every rendition, right. with every new president. And and that's what's coming. And what we've seen already is so horrible. It's rationing of care. It, it's rationing of care. It's like we talked about it, you know, the beginning of the show, when humans build organizations for noble causes, ultimately what happens is the cause is forgotten and the preservation and the building of the organization, it becomes this monster to feed itself, to preserve itself. Um, and there's nothing noble about socialized medicine. No, no. But, well, <laughs> the whole purpose is to ration care to well, get people off the rolls by letting them die instead of getting care that, right. and saving money. Yeah, that's not what people are told. And yeah, it, it takes experiences yeah. in the hospital like what happened to Grace and what has unfortunately been happening to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of individuals during COVID. They've come to understand that this monster exists. And you and I, we want people to experience real health, real treatment. We don't want anybody to die of COVID. We don't mm-hmm. want anybody die of COVID treatment. And we don't have to. And we don't want anybody to fall through the, the so-called cracks. We don't want poor people to go without um, 
uh, the medical help that they need. You know, we want what everybody wants, but mm -hmm. we want real health. And if real health can be had with vitamin A, D, zinc, and hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, right. by gum, right. that's what they deserve to have. That's right. Um, and doctors need to be allowed to be doctors, nurses to be nurses. It needs to be go back to being that healing art form that is between the patient and the doctor and full information and um, people being reliable and responsible for their own actions. And both that, the patient that's and another, the doctor. That's another really big part of it too, is the personal responsibility on the yeah. part of the patient. Because when you give free healthcare to people, mm -hmm. I mean, right now um, there are people on Medicaid who will go to the emergency room for a Tylenol because they don't want to go buy it with their own money at and I'm not saying that all of them do that, but mm -hmm. this is common. This is why our emergency care is so expensive and healthcare is so expensive yeah. because people who perceive something as free, they have no value. And the cost and so of that time put, and all at the emergency yes, room, that's it to be like a thousand dollars by the yes. time you pay for the whole right. thing. And so <laughs> if people, if people, I think I, I really am a fan of medical savings accounts and using the voucher system to help people even yeah. on Medicaid to, to use those because once you put those in place for people and, and help them be responsible for their healthcare dollars, then they're going to spend that money wisely. And, mm -hmm. and the great thing about medical savings accounts is that it's a, it's a, it's not a use it or lose it. You know, you can roll that over, you can mm -hmm. roll it over into a personal IRA or to the next year's funds. But, mm -hmm. but when you're responsible for that money, mm -hmm. You're going to make wiser choices. Yeah. And, and I don't care what Democrats say. The bottom line is they think that we are too stupid to make our own healthcare decisions. And You're that's right. everybody, not yeah. just people with college degrees, but they especially think that, mm -hmm. that poor communities, they think black people don't even have access to the internet. I mean, they're, they're yeah. just ridiculously yeah, racist. There, there's been some very racist things that have been out there said lately. I agree with it's you. Terrible. Yeah. And that we really are suffering from a lack of responsibility mm -hmm. because nobody is responsible for the outcomes. These atrocities are happening, but even pre COVID, you know, there was this protection built in, especially in the realm of vaccination. If the doctor mm -hmm. administering the, the shot, was responsible for the outcome, he would bend over or she bend over backwards to ensure that you were given enough information for fully informed, informed consent, consent. Yes. to happen. And that if there was any chance that you were at increased risk of harm due to this, that they would inform you, mm -hmm. there would be so much more. Now, I, you know, I, I'm not praising the old Soviet union, but I once um, heard this, um, gal speak who was researching like vaccines in the old iron curtain days mm -hmm. and they used to make their own products and the state held them responsible mm. for outcomes and their list of contraindications mm. um was pages and pages long because the doctors were really because every time they filed that a child didn't do well from a shot they would be grilled well, right. what did you do? Did you, were they sick when you vaccinated them? Blah, 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 blah. You know, they, in order to, wow. so when you, human beings do not do well in the absence of responsibility. 
That's right. If we don't, renters don't take good enough care of houses because right. it's not theirs. They don't That's have right. to fix it up. It's just a sad state of who we are. Um, and so to remove responsibility from human beings for their actions, whether you're patients or your doctors or you're the hospital, um, you know, anything, um, trouble soon follows because right. it does not bring out the best of who we are as, as human beings. We've got about six more minutes. Um, what else do you have? She has got just I mean, let's see. massive amounts of yeah. information here. We, we actually had to, you know, our education white paper is just one white paper and it's about 50 pages long, but we, we had to actually break up our, our medical research following the money into, into seven because um, the financial COVID incentives to hospitals is is almost a hundred pages just by itself. So there was no way that we could possibly expect to to just create one white paper with everything. Mm -hmm. the The second white paper we're going to release is on the CMS waivers because we think that 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 has completely destroyed not only the Hippocratic oath but but patient rights in this country. And and as long as the public health emergency exists, then there's no end in sight. So, so, so if we're under public health emergency and there are these CMF waivers that says you can, you don't have, you can ignore patient rights, you can leave. This is so shocking. Yeah. A patient alone for 48 hours with no food or water. Or care. Or, or care. care. No, nobody even entering the room is Look, legal. We have pictures from family of their loved ones lying in their own feces for two days <sighs> because not a single nurse came into the room for those two days. <sighs> no it's food, just, no water. Or okay. they brought food and water in and they left it on a tray across the, the room and of course, the the patient is you know restrained and can't get up and, and get it. can't get up and get it. Um, can state law override CMS waivers? Do you know if if we got really good laws, not just it, they can. You're saying they can override the hospital's patient rights, you know but if we it became a law, what we tried to do with the Patient Bill of Rights Act, we we realized that there was no fighting the Prep Act because they every single argument that we would have would end with um, the the prep act the mm -hmm. liability coverage mm -hmm. so what what our plan was in our patient bill of rights act was to include everything under the prep act ivermectin hcq high dose vitamins um, proning, budesonide, anything the patient and the family wanted to get better. We, we said, fine, let that be covered under the PrEP Act as well, because you know what? The family is not going to care about liability. They want their loved one to get better and leave the hospital. So if that was covered and then incentivized, but if you cover it, you have to yeah. do more than cover it. You also have to incentivize it it's, or they're not going to choose it. But they wouldn't be incentivized. They wouldn't, right. But uh, our Patient Bill of Rights Act would have also uh, allow doctors in hospitals to not be threatened mm -hmm. by uh, boards of medical examiners, by hospital administrators, um, because if you don't follow the NIH protocol exactly, those those DRGs to the letter, then the hospital loses a lot of money. And they're not going to keep doctors. We work with doctors in mm -hmm. the Adam group who have mm -hmm. been let go and fired very publicly mm -hmm. because they refuse to follow the DRGs to the mm -hmm. letter. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we need laws that will also allow doctors to go back to pre 2020 and do whatever they think will save the patient because now it's not based on outcomes 
on on uh, just on saving the patient's life the way mm-hmm. it used to be. Yeah. Now it's based on follow the DRGs, get the big money, no yeah. matter whether the patient lives or dies. If they live, mm-hmm. wow, bonus. If they die, who cares? Mm. Yeah. Well, we're going to leave things on a positive note, right, AJ? Yes. Because what I always try to do, we give you some dark stuff, but we're going to fill you with hope. And if yes. you're in the Tennessee area, if you're in the Tennessee area where um, tomorrow, beginning at about three o'clock, what's the name of the place? It's going to be at the factory in Franklin, Tennessee. And the outside area where they usually have the farmer's market is called the shed. It's a large covered area. There's tons of parking and um, there's going to be a stage set up. There's going to be some, you know, music starting out and then some really great speakers starting at three o'clock mm-hmm. and until 8 p.m. And there's going to be uh, people there who um, who have hospital stories, who have um, vaccination stories. Um, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Paul Merrick are going to be there. Um, and there, there's just going to be a lot of Grace's dad will be there. Yeah, if there's, you want to, there's going to be a lot of hope. Lot, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hope for people. Yeah. Hopefully, people will come out. You Ooh. will be there. You're speaking. Yeah. I will be there. I'm going to be, look for me um, at a table, uh, Manning of the CHD, Children's Health Defense table. I'm very honored to represent CHD at the at the event. And They're then amazing. nurse, they are, and Nurse Freedom Network. Yes, um, Kimberly Overton, please come yeah. out and support her. Support she Kimberly. Is, we'll be side she's by amazing. side. She's amazing. Yeah. It's going to be a, a great day of learning, of um, community, of support for each other. Um, hear great speakers, get a hug hug. and then learn how you can take action to be part of the change, be part of this peaceful revolution that, that has begun. It's well underway around the world, um, around the world, but where you are is where you need to act in your County. Get as active as you can, as local as you can. Stay out of the hospital and keep everyone, you know, and love out of the hospital. There is early treatment available. There is no reason to go to the hospital with COVID. Yeah. And as I've always said, right now, while you're well, find a healthcare practitioner that you yep. respect, that respects you, that you're aligned with for your treatment for health and wellness and mm-hmm. for illness. Get them lined up now mm-hmm. um, and do what you can. Um, and prayers to all. So I guess that's it. Here comes our music. AJ, thank you oh, so thank much you. for, for so joining much. me here. This is great. We're going to have a great weekend. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW and chd.tv. We'll be back next week. Take care. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed 
about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.